herzlich willkommen zu Socks. Hello and welcome to Socks, so-called strangers. My name is Christine and I have called strangers to find out what we have in common. I'm not teaching you to fight because everyone can fight. I'm teaching you how to live. I am teaching you how to live. This is Philip. Philip is the stranger I'm meeting today. He's 54 and from Denmark. You know, I learn from every stranger I talk to. Sometimes it's about a foreign country or traditions I didn't know. Sometimes it's a view from a different generation than mine. And they're all interesting and great. And as different as my conversation partners are, there's always a moment when we not only talk, but really connect. It's when we are brave enough to share a personal story with each other. The following conversation with Philip is no different. But this was actually a really special lesson that made me think a lot. And it touched me. Let me first describe Philip to you. You may know what Frix Asana is. Yeah, I know it sounds Danish, but it's actually Sanskrit and it means tree pose. Frix Asana is a yoga pose where you try to balance on one foot while raising your arms. And if you do it right, you can feel how rooted you are to the ground. You can feel your calm, strength, stability, flexibility. You feel the connection to your surroundings. You wonder why I am explaining all this? Well, if I had to describe Philip, I'd say he's like a human rixasana. He's like a human tree pose. After talking to him for a while, I totally lost track of time. I was just enjoying the present flow of the conversation. It was so intense. He dove straight into Buddhism concepts, which were really new to me. I heard about his struggles, his searches, his findings, and how he turned them into the narration of his life. Philip has done extreme sports throughout his life, including all sorts of water sports. So if I said he's like a human tree pose, our conversation felt everything but a calming yoga session. I'm telling you, it was more like going on a boat ride with him. We went on calm waters, over waves, through rapids, and certainly some whirlpools. I'm so happy to share this ride with you. I meet Philip online in his summer house in the countryside of Denmark. We warm up with a little geography lesson as I try to figure out where he lives. I learn that Denmark consists of more than 1,400 islands of which two of the biggest are connected by one of the longest bridges in the world, the Great Belt Bridge. That's where his summer house is located. Philip and his wife split their time between the countryside and Copenhagen. He grew up in the capital of Denmark, which I remember as very laid back and quiet. Yeah, I mean, Denmark is small, right? So mm. so, so for people coming from a bigger city, then it's, then it's nothing. 
But uh, for Danes, I mean, that's a big difference from Copenhagen to to where I am now, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so it's a very different uh, vibe, I could say. It's a different vibe they have on the content side. Yeah. More relaxed. It's more in Copenhagen. It's more there's more speed on, but uh, but still Copenhagen is still small. So mm-hmm. it, it, everything is. I mean, it takes twenty minutes on a bike to get everywhere in Copenhagen, right? Mm-hmm. So you can get so easily, and now you have the metro. So so you, from five minutes, you can get from one part of the city to the other side mm-hmm. of the city, right? So yeah, it's not so huge. I learned that water is the main element of Denmark. Even Copenhagen has a lot of lakes, the sea all around, rivers and canals. No wonder kayaking and other water sports are a big thing in Denmark. For Philip's sport, however. You need solid ground. His sport is martial arts. Martial arts are at the core of Philip's life. He has been teaching self-defense to women for almost two decades. And um, so I started judo to feel more safe. And then later I did gymnastics and then I started kickboxing as a teenager because every time I went to town, there was always trouble. So I thought, okay, I need to learn something. So I learned kickboxing and then later I did Tai Chi when I became more relaxed in my own sin, you could say. Because I was a very uh, aggressive young man and then I didn't like that attitude that... Um, that I always had this anger. So I, I felt regret. So I was starting to interest myself in, in what is life and why are we here and uh, what is it all about? And then I started actually to meditate and then I didn't fight for a whole month. And then I was like, wow, <laughs> this actually works. And um, people start talking to me, people that I didn't, didn't know how to talk to. I was thinking lovingly of them uh, at home, sending them rainbow lights. And, and then suddenly they start talking to me. I was like, wow, things are changing. And Because the, everything ha- is about you, the view you have, your approach to life, your mirror neurons, your, we're all connected. The whole thing you said about this podcast to show that we're all connected, right? And we are connected. Uh, Now you get an idea what I meant when I said this conversation was going to be intense, right? While we talk, I'm listening really anxiously. I'm trying to keep up with Philip. Kickboxing, rainbows, neurons. This feels like I am getting on a speedboat of thoughts. I need to buckle up. I need him to explain more. I need him to explain his awakening He said he changed from an angry young man to a spiritual person. How did he realize that embracing other people served him better than fighting them? Actually, I was in the States for this year as an exchange student and, and um, this, uh, played American football and all this stuff and had a great time. 
But I also started to meditate because a friend, he was saying, oh, man, we are going to this party. And I was like, no way, I'm too tired. Yeah, yeah, but just try to do this, do what I'm telling you doing that you do now. And you're just laying your back and then say this mantra. I said, what is a mantra? You just say this and this. And then I, was, I said this mantra. And then suddenly I got so... Um, surprised it's not even the right word I was not I was not afraid I was not super yeah it was it was like a shock maybe more because I felt I was flying like a one meter above the bed so I opened my eyes and I looked down and I was still in my bed so I was not flying <laughs> but but it felt like that so it, it, I was like wow okay now I'm ready for partying <laughs> suddenly I got so much energy and then at that time I was 17 or 18 and, and, and then we went for this party and, and then this whole interest be, uh, became really uh, strong with me, right? So I started meditating and, and um, yeah, I came home and then my life started changing and, and, uh, and then that's been, has been a like ongoing process. I try to imagine how I would have reacted to an experience like the one he's telling me to feel weightless and then suddenly energized. Would I have changed my life? I asked Philip why he thinks that we strive for change and improvement. And he replies, on one hand, we have nothing to improve as we are totally perfect as we are. Ooh, sounds good to me. But I'm afraid there's a painful part to follow. And here it comes. It's one way we have nothing to improve, right? Because we are totally perfect as we are. But on the other hand, you have stories from your upbringing, or your, some would say karma, whatever, but you have some stories uh, in your body, in your brain, you have patterns. If you talk about neuroscience, the, the, um, the repeatable patterns you think is your reality. But if you start understanding that and you notice, you have so much awareness, you can notice that, okay, this is the same troubles I get into every time. This is mm -hmm. what happens. And it doesn't matter who I talk to. So it's not depending on my wife or family. It's, it's a pattern I have. Let's mm -hmm. take ownership of that. And then suddenly you can look at where does it come from. And maybe it's a family pattern, something you learned or was told to do or or that was the right thing to do in your family or in society in general or whatever it could be religion and everything, right? <laughs> okay. So if we like to change, we need to look at patterns from our past. These patterns can be formed by the family or the society. Philip tells me about his school years at a Catholic school, although he wasn't raised Catholic. Um, the were nuns in the school, serious and strict, and they made a big impression on him as a little boy. They would occasionally tell him horrid wartime stories. And this is also a thing you get in your upbringing, he says, the stories other people tell you. You need to know which stories, which are the patterns in your system. People around us may have thought their way was the right way of being, of behaving, and we think the way we are raised, we have to deal with the world, right? Hey, are you still following? I mean, my thoughts are racing. 
patterns. I know that small children learn through creating patterns. I understand that in order to deal with complex situations, you need to detect patterns. You group similar experiences. And yes, certainly experiences probably manifest themselves as patterns in your body. But why does Philip believe it's so important to be aware of them? Are there bad patterns? And what if? Can you like rewrite their imprint? Can you change them? And where's this mental speedboat going to? I try to imagine Philip as a young martial arts sportsman interested in spiritual changes. Where did he find his place to work with this talent? And and one thing is what I really have close to my heart is how women are looking at themselves, how they think they are supposed to behave, and and um, or what they can't do, or, or and so on. Yeah? So so um, my my journey for teaching women self protection has been firstly it has been because I'm a Buddhist, so my Lama said it's important for women that they, they can protect themselves and you should teach them. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know how. And uh, even though I trained martial art, but, but uh, how do you teach women, right? Philip tells me that when he met with his Japanese teacher, he learned more about the fundamental Buddhist principle of becoming more compassionate. I hear Philip's words, but he's talking in Buddhism lingo to me. So in order to understand him better, I need to look up some explanations, like compassion. To strive for compassion is one of the major tasks for Buddhists. The Dalai Lama wrote, For genuine compassion, one must understand the nature of the suffering from which we wish to free others. And one must experience deep empathy with other sentient beings. That's a quote from the Dalai Lama. So I think I can join some dots here now. To understand the nature of suffering equals to learn about the patterns that were formed in you in the past and which are still defining your suffering. To feel empathy with other beings, you must practice feeling what they are feeling. I know this is a super shortcut of an explanation, but Philip's on the speedboat of thoughts, you know, and that doesn't allow for much time of contemplation. So I ask him, how did he finally connect his skills in self-defense with a spiritual task to become an empathic teacher? Um, There's skills. You can learn skills, piano. Uh, art, um, martial art is an art, piano is an art, but martial art can be very rigid and stiff and in a certain way by rules and everything and dogma and, and concepts. And the same with piano or painting, everything can be ruled by certain concepts and this is how we do it. And the big artists that break out of the rules and become their new uh, Picasso or whatever, right? And, and the same with the music. You have to learn the notes, you have to learn everything. But then at a certain point, you have to break it and make it unique. And this is what Sogo really did. 
So the, the most important thing was, he said, keep going and don't copy me, uh, but go for the feeling and don't forget what you have with yourself and what you brought here in yourself. And then also, I'm not teaching you to fight because everyone can fight. I'm teaching you how to live. Mm-hmm. And that has really been the cue for me. I'm teaching you how to live. Philip was shown that he could turn his excellence in martial arts into something greater. He could use it to connect with others through empowerment. Philip was told not to copy his teacher, but to believe in himself and to feel what was important to him. So now I'm not teaching to fight, he says, because everyone can fight. I am teaching you how to live. It's not about fighting. And it is in our heart, most people are fighting. Because there's a lot of things. If you think about ego as a reality, you think it's real because that's how the brain functions also. It's a natural thing. The brain thinks I'm here, I'm, you are there. And then there's something I want and something I want to avoid. So we have this hope and fear constantly in our life. And that's, that's you can say, the amygdala is, is your fight and flight responses. And, and so that's because you think the body and the, and the body is real and it's not real at the same time because the body is a vessel for our mind or for your nature or, or your supreme being, whatever you want to call it, right? Oh, oh, oh hold it, Philip. I need to look up amygdala. Ah, 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 okay. Amygdala is the fear response system in the brain, which makes us fight or flee in moments of panic. Did you know that there is scientific proof that meditating can lower the activity in the amygdala? That is, in a moment of panic, you still get the fight or flee impulse, but you can sort of control it better. Philip will later explain to me what that means. It's so, so cool. First, he introduces me to the idea of body and mind. Body and mind cannot be defined independently from one another. But uh, as a Buddhist, we call it the, the mind half a body. And the mind doesn't have a gender. The mind in itself is just mind. The nature of mind has no gender, but your body has a gender. And the quality of that body, the sexes of that body, is more inherent in, in this in the gender it has. So for a man, it's more activity and compassion. And for females, wisdom and, and space. So what I hear is that in certain teachings of Buddhism, activity and compassion are qualities strongly attributed to men while the quality of wisdom and space are attributed to women. I don't say anything. But Philip can tell that I'm not too happy about these classifications. He clarifies. There is no comparison. There is no better or worse. He says it's not wisdom as in I know more than you do. It's more the wisdom of understanding how to best complement each other. He says, consequently, if you suppress a woman, you suppress wisdom and space in her and in yourself. 
while if you suppress a man, you suppress activity and compassion in him and in yourself. Okay, so the contrary of suppression, that's why I understand, is embracing and complementing each other. We have to get that in balance, Philip agrees. And to illustrate that, he says you can find paintings or statues of a man and a woman meditating together in union. They represent one person who has totally embraced all qualities and the totality of his and her own mind. Ah, do you know the feeling when you hear something that sounds really logic and neat, but your gut feeling tells you, no, there's something off? Does Philip really believe in strictly different female and male attributes? I must look really lost. Because Philip explains more. He says, there is no difference in men and women other than the body. We have a body and we're more than the body. If we neglect one or the other, we live in unrealistic terms of life. Okay, so what I take away from it is this. Every person is body and mind. And you cannot look at one without the other. And one has to let go. Let go of definitions. Let go of the idea of opposites, of division, of comparison. Let go of either or. Okay. Our boat of thoughts is now entering slower waters. We come back to the patterns we talked about earlier. The brain's job is to keep us safe. So it stores memory of saying, okay, putting the hand on the stove is a bad idea. Putting the hand in, in the fire is a bad idea. Okay, we don't do that. It's dangerous. Okay, saying things in public can be dangerous because maybe I get ridiculed or maybe people laugh at me. Uh, so if I lose something here, I, I lose my cup on the floor, maybe somebody will scold me or um, whatever, yeah. I get a bad conscience all the time because I'm afraid of not getting love from my family. All this stuff. So the brain keeps us safe all the time. And, and, but it also inhibits us in living out our full potential. Because that is an old story. And that was a survival mechanism in your upbringing or wherever you were, right? Or in your relationship. But when you break out of that and you become more and more honest and look at those, you call it, somebody call it dark sides. But it's actually just looking at, there's no dark and bright side, actually. That's just mind. Mind has no dark or black side. It has no, um, that's not two minds, it's only mind. But if you focus on one thing, then that becomes your reality. So if you only focus on the, on the bad stories, the things that you have, then that is your total reality all the time. And you, you radiate that into the world and, you, and it reconfirms itself. It's like the same record playing itself. And you, you cannot even say you're attracted. It's like just happening all the time because that's what you focus on. Those old stories, Philip explains, don't serve you in the present anymore. One has to look at them. He doesn't like to call them dark sides of the story because mind doesn't have a dark or a bright side. 
The problem starts when you focus on the, let us call it, bad side of the story. And if the bad side becomes your reality. Bad sides of your story may trigger bad habits, leading to repeated problems and worries. Also, if you radiate these bad sides into the world, they will reconfirm themselves. The good news is, if you can change your view, you can change your reality. That's big. So how do you detect a pattern, Philip? So everything is connected to how we view our view, our inner view is giving our view to the world and to our reality. So if you can change that, then your reality changes. So you have to be really honest with what do I feel in this situation? What was the thought I had just before that feeling? Or what was the trigger to the thought and the feeling that I now have? Uh, and then you can, you, can, you can track it back and then suddenly you get, a, you get an epiphany. You get a wow. That's like, that came from that time when I fell on my bike. Philip says we can all track back our emotions to thoughts and to triggers, and then even deeper, eventually, to a story in the past. Any incident leaves a trace. Some incidents you can carry along, but others can begin to get control over you. If you are controlled by them... You create a habitual way of acting which may lead to running into the same problems, experiencing the same worries or fears. Last year, Philip went for a swim in the sea, as he does regularly. Out of the blue, he had a terrible panic attack. Listen to this. Uh, last year I was swimming. Um, when and when I was swimming, of course, I swim a lot. But then, then um, I had totally panic attack in the water, and I realized I, I was re-experiencing a drowning experience I had when I was around seven or eight years old. And um, we were three boys who were swimming. Uh, as far as we could uh, was allowed as this uh, rubber ball in the water where you're allowed to swim out to and the boats are not allowed to get in it was quite far distance for, for three small kids right and and there was two brothers and then on the way back we got all really tired and then the, the youngest brother he panicked and uh, he started climbing on me so he was actually standing on me and I couldn't breathe I couldn't, I couldn't reach the button And somehow something clicked in my head and I managed to turn around and I kick in the stomach. And, and then he got out of this panic and, and uh, I could get up and we all got in. Nobody died. And um, we didn't even talk about this. I mean, I don't know. I can't remember what happened later after that. But the, the thing was, when I was swimming, this whole panic thing came up. And when you, when you have a panic thing, You cannot really like totally anxiety. Yeah? There's all in the body, but you can get, you, what usually happens is you get to back to the basis of your training, the basic basis or the baseline of your capacity, how much stress can you take, right? 
So because I've been meditating for more than 35 years, I have military training and martial art, all kinds of stuff, and a lot of breathing exercises, then I can, I can just click back to that, okay, I have to be cool. But at the same time, I didn't push it away. I didn't, I didn't uh, put it in a bucket and, and put a lid on it. I let it be and have a total experience while I was swimming. Half a century later, Philip was experiencing the same feeling of panic and anxiety as back when he was little. I remember how he told me about the amygdala, the brain center for panic response. When he felt the panic this time, he says, I could tap into my capacity of how much stress I can take. He didn't allow the panic to control him. He controlled it. But he says, I didn't push it away. I let it be. What I imagine is that he kind of invited the panic to swim back with him to the shore. You can't do breathing exercises while you're swimming anyway, he laughs. He allowed his mind to accept the panic. The same incident happened the following days until the attacks slowly subsided. Imagine, Philip says, I had the toughest military training. I've done the most demanding water activities. But after years and years in the water, this one incident was hiding in my system. The story was still there, he concludes. And it is still there, but I'm now relaxed about it. I think of a recent incident when I felt panic, anxiety and despair. The way my body reacted in that situation was strangely familiar. And this reaction helped me to remember a similar incident some years back. And I realized I could cope because I had made it through the first time. I was still sad. But I just knew that I wasn't going to be stuck in sadness or despair. Philip, as I said, is a self-defense teacher. When he first started to teach women, he focused on martial arts techniques But he also introduced Feldenkrais practices. Feldenkrais is a method based on the interaction between body and mind. It entails a series of exercises that aim to improve body movement and state of mind. Philip was asked to teach women who had experienced severely negative circumstances. There had been sex workers who had decided to leave prostitution. I used to say that the most fragile human being that I ever met, but actually today I was thinking, I was like, actually it's not true because it's so much more complex than that. They are both and they are the most fragile human being and the most strongest I ever met. Philip taught these women how to relax in their body. He tells me he taught them how to like their body, to be comfortable in their body again. 
Some of them would return and tell him, I feel young, I feel like dancing, I feel great. For others, the exercises were re-traumatizing and Philip needed to help them find a psychologist for further treatment. Their stories were really bad. Philip remembers stories of women threatened at gunpoint with knives or strangled. And he pauses here and I can see that he is still overwhelmed thinking of these cruelties. The challenge was to turn these atrocities into a powerhouse for positive energy, like using its force but molding it into helpful action. The women needed to find their stance and say, I don't want this to happen ever again. At this point, I'm doing something very impolite. I just cannot help but interrupt Philip. Listening to the stories of women who suffer so terribly at the hands of barbaric men makes me so sad and so angry. To think of the majority of women who are hopelessly stuck in such a violent, dangerous situation is so terrible. I'm in awe of those who dare to leave it. I admire Philip for the help he's offering them. These victims of violence deserve any help, no doubt. It makes me so mad to think of offenders who continue to degrade, to misuse, to violate women. I feel fear. I feel hate in my throat when I think of it. And I, before I know, I, I strike out at Philip. How about the perpetrators, I ask him? How about eliminating them first? I'm so annoyed and extremely angry at the fact that he needs to help women who wouldn't need his help if they hadn't been traumatized by men in the first place. I know where this anger comes from. I once was in an abusive relationship myself. And I still harbor shame that it took me forever to get out of it. And I still feel so much resentment thinking of the guy who just got away with his doings. Still attacking Philip at this point. Not, uh, not a very cool thing. But you know, he's a human yoga tree pose. You remember? You can poke and push him. He will sway slightly, but keep himself grounded, strong and mindful. Philip can immediately read my anger. And of course he knows I'm not angry at him. He even nods and says, it's a good question. Why do we not deal with the aggressors? There are, he says, people out there who do this work. But it's not my focus, he says. He absolutely, definitely doesn't feel sorry for the men who are stuck in their malefic patterns. I have never looked at the men's side of the story, he says. I have compassion for them as human beings. Bing, 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 learning from me here. Compassion. He has compassion and compassion must not be confused with sympathy. He says, I see something went terribly wrong with them. But I never went down that path any further. You know what? Philip says, I don't care. Mm -hmm. 
More than the immediate effect of Philip's work with individual women, he's seen a rippling effect in their relationships. One woman told him how she returned home and told her boyfriend that he had to leave. His normal reaction would have been to beat her up. But he just looked at her, turned around and left. It was an extremely powerful change in the woman's life. Philip calls it a shift of the energy level. When the woman looked at the world differently, she received different reactions. But, Philip continues, you cannot rely on the world to change for you. You have to depend on yourself. You have to do the work yourself. You are the first responder to you. There's no one coming and saving you more than you. So you have to have that attitude to take responsibility of your own life. When you rest in your own power, you express your being, Philip says. Powerful women inspire other women to feel their power. It's like a natural chain reaction. I'm teaching, but actually I'm coaching them. So, <laughs> so I'm coaching them to become a stronger version of themselves. And strong men, Philip adds, like powerful women. And then he smiled. And on this light-hearted note, we now paddle along in our conversation boat. Philip explains to me what he means by real power. Real power is not about physical power, being fast or anything like that. Within the ranks of the Japanese samurai ninjas, the female ninjas are rated as the most powerful. You know why? Philip asks me. And that's really important to learn for men. You have to learn to be soft and you have to learn the element of surprise. The element of surprise is the major element in real power. What does he mean by element of surprise? He tells me that he knows too well that attacks on women are not typically planned. They happen in the streets, at home, out of nowhere, when women least expect them. The situation is like this, he explains. You step out onto the street, for our example, and you get attacked. You freeze. You realize, shit, this is happening. And that's when you're already two steps behind. Because one, he picked you. And two, he attacked you. My job, Philip says, is to coach you how to unfreeze and act. Within a split second, you have to accept that you are freezing. And at the same time, you have to tell yourself to keep moving. At this point, I have to think back to his story earlier when he had that panic attack in the water and he decided to embrace it while continuing to swim. In every attack, Philip assures me there's a moment, there's a specific moment where you can do something and you tap into your power. Women develop incredible force in such a situation. And once you can rely on your power, he says, you will also have a higher awareness how to avoid a critical situation in the first place. I teach women how to trust themselves, he says, and how to trust their gut feeling better. Ah, I feel like booking a course with him right away. Violence in relationships is much more complicated as all kinds of emotions are muddled up. After being mentally, 
physically or emotionally abused in a relationship, it's extremely difficult to arrive at a point where you say to yourself, this is enough and I cannot take this anymore. You cannot change the person. You cannot change the other person. Philip repeats, you can only change yourself. I ask him if he calls women in this situation victims. I, I never called them a victim. Yeah, that's what I wonder. Yeah. No, I never did. I mm-hmm. never, I never, I never see them as victims. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, and and no, no, I, I, I take them as equal. I don't mm-hmm. see them as less or I'm more or I see them. No, not at all. I never did mm-hmm. that. And and um, and I think it would be a mistake also. Um, so it's it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not it's not. Um, I don't see it as a victim. Over the years, Philip has taught over 700 women in self-defense. He has collected a lot of feedback data, constantly improving his classes to optimize the effect on change in the least amount of time. When you take your teaching seriously, he says, you're as much a teacher as you are a student. He learned from the feedback that it was most important for the women to be taken seriously. Philip learned a lot from the women. After all, he says, I'm a man in a woman's world. I facilitate a community where women feel safe and they feel the sisterhood, which is kind of contradicting to him being the male coach in the middle. But they also need to feel him representing full-on male energy when it comes to exercising. They trust me, he says. They trust me that I have compassion at the same time. I never push them too far. My job is for them to find their power, not to break them. They must find their inner beast and be able to unleash it when they need it. To be best informed about the variety of critical situations, Philip studied police reports and surveillance camera tapes. It was overwhelming, he says, and I can tell from the look in his eyes that he must have seen just dreadful stuff. If you focus on the sick things people are doing to each other, he says, you need a lot of time off. It's just not my state of mind, Philip says, it's not who I am. After learning about horrible incidents, he had to learn to refocus on the positive, on his work. The women taught him to see the bigger picture, he says. For example, if a woman fights to not only defend herself, but also thinks of her children, she will express a lot more power. Um, that was another time. There was one woman. She was like full on, full power. And I was like, I was so amazed by her. And I was like, what happened? And she said, I was thinking of my three kids. And then it dawned on me. I was like, wow. Okay. So it's really true. Like my Lama says, every time you do something that is bigger than you, you get so much more power. And so, and I said to the girls, you're not doing this for yourself. You are not even doing it for your family. 
if you don't have a family, then for sure you're not, but you're doing it for a much bigger cause than that. You are doing for all the sisters and brothers and 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 who get uh, who get to read the news, who who looks in the news and then see that you got raped and you got killed. And they get affected and they get more scared. And their world get more scared. And they get more into this whole thing that the world is terrible, it's getting worse and worse, and everything is really bad. But if you fight and you come out of that situation, then you inspire those 50 people to become mm-hmm. strong, to become mm-hmm. a stronger version of yourself. So for me, I tell them every time before the fight. And, and, and that's a really, really strong impact. Ah, this sounds all quite powerful and bright to me, but my conversation skipper, Philip, paddles back to the concept of bad patterns. Philip repeats, in order to find your full power, it's not enough to focus on your bigger motives. You must also be well aware of your bad patterns because they may restrain you. Be honest with your fears. Most of his students feel some sort of resistance to join the training. They need to figure out what is holding them back from full commitment. Anyway, Philip smiles. You don't have to change fully. One percent is enough. Huh? I must look a bit puzzled. Because he explains this with a really great image. And if you change your life 10%, you could say if you change the course of a flight, going from Denmark to, to Frankfurt, just one, 1%. Now it's the, to- the, the tour is, 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 is not so long, but the longer the tour is, this 1%, you end up totally different place. I love, love that picture. Love that picture. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so, this, this, so for me, to give power yeah. to people is so much more important and so much more enriching, and it, it gives me power. It, it's fun. If I look at Philip's life, I cannot help but wonder how he made it from being an angry and sad boy to successfully teaching women how to live better. He tells me that he has asked himself the same question and he has come up with these reasons. That's two reasons. There's several reasons for it. One is I, I love women and I think they're super inspiring and I want them to feel safe and strong and I totally believe that the world will change. That's mm-hmm. my, like... When women are really resting their power and, and, and they are not want to suppress men because now they were suppressed by men, but they rest in their power and you can be equal and we can, we can stand back to back and shoulder to shoulder, then I really believe the world will be very, very different. And, and so for, the, for me, that's my mission. I want to help millions of women if I can. And, and, and that's really like, wow, if that happens, then the world will be, really be different. So that's my true risk that's my wish mm-hmm. that's my mission philip himself got out of a lonely and dark childhood and he's grateful now that he can draw from his experience he's come a long way he says he feels centered now i guess he's probably such a passionate teacher because he has experienced the pain and the suffering and the change 
himself. I think back to my own childhood. After listening to Philip, it seems okay to go there and to look also into the dark corners. Because for me, there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of pain. Is it really possible, I ask Philip, to forget your stories, to leave them in the past? And, and if you can live moment by moment, you're creating a new future. If you're living the past because of stories, you are just repeating the same stories. You're just the same karma thing, right? But if you're living moment by moment and totally honest in that moment, you are creating a new future that is not depending on the past. I yeah, I, think, I mean, the thing is, don't get ruled or, or, or destroyed by your stories. Mm. I mean, own them. You have to own your story. And then, so yeah, that's my story. And, and then, but don't, you have to have this honesty and awareness. That's why I have a lot of awareness through movement in my system, or I call it new impact movement. But this whole thing about having awareness, you have to calm down your nervous system. And then, I mean, slow down. Mm. And just don't be a human doer, be a human being and, and be aware of what is happening within. And mm. when you are when you're aware of that, then you can choose where you want to go. And the most important thing is that the your mind is the one that is observing everything, experience everything, right? And it's not diluted by it doesn't get dirty or anything. It's just clear light or space or whatever you want to call it. And 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 it, it doesn't change whatever story you have, but your brain or your body has this experiences from your upbringing and from your generations of the family you've been in. And it's your job to liberate yourself from that. It's your job mm. to, to become a better version so you impact the world. The more you live into your truth of who you really are instead of, of a story, the more you are actually part of changing uh, humanity to something better, right? Because yeah. you are just a beacon and, 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 and that is, that's our pioneer, whatever you want to call it. But that is like riddles in the water, rings in the water. And that helps other people to get the strength and you empower them like these 50 other people. You empower them to, to, to step up to be their own power. And, and that's, that's like, I think that's the most important thing. I mean, never to settle, never to be, okay, this is my life and this is my story. And okay, this, I can't change it. No, this is my life and this is my story, but I choose that it doesn't rule me because then it's a different thing. Because if you just say, this is my story, this is my life, that's, that's two sides, right? So mm. you can either say, okay, I'm, I'm content. I stay here. That's fine. No, but you can be content in the moment and understand every moment is changing constantly to a new moment. And you are fresh in that moment and mm -hmm. you are not your story. And then, then you, you, you can still remember everything that happened in the past, but don't get ruled by it. Don't get, don't get mm, settled. Always mm -hmm. understand that everything is constantly on the moving, everything is keep moving, keep going. There's nothing that is changing, and that is nothing that is permanent. Everything is changing. So, 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 um, and that's the only thing that is not changing. That everything is changing. Don't be a human doer. Be a human being. Never say no to the possibility of change. You are not your story. Bang, bang, bang! So many amazing quotes. 
Philip is still on a journey, or as he calls it, he is still expanding his mind. Because it's limitless, he says and beams. Everything is full of opportunities, he says. If you're living in the past, because of your stories, you're just repeating them. But if you're truly living in the moment, you are creating a future that is not depending on the past. That sounds all very hopeful to me. Are you driven by hope, Philip? I ask him, while we are finally approaching the jetty of our conversation ride. I very much enjoyed this ride. It was long. It was intense. It was honest. Are you driven by hope, Philip? No, I'm not driven no. by hope. What no, are you because, driven? Because if you're driven by hope, then there's also fear. Okay. So, so no, I'm driven by... Yeah, that's a good question. Because if you have hope, you also have fear. But I'm driven by the curiosity. Mm -hmm. I'm driven by curiosity of what is behind the next moment. What is, what is, I mean, you stay in the moment being curiosity of where that will lead you. But if you stay in the, in, in, in the future, you're living in the future, you're living in a daydreaming. And if you're staying in the past, you are creating your future from your past. But if you're staying in the moment as much as you can, then, then you don't need to fear the future. Because you just trust that everything will be fine. Yes, that's what I call hope. That no, you trust. Because, no, because, If you trust that everything's going to be fine, then that's what I call hope. Yeah, but for me, that's okay. That's, that, but that's probably how you define it. Okay. Because... Yeah, but that's, you can call it, you can of course call it like that. But if I'm more into this thing that you're living moment by moment and you mm. want to be present at that moment. And, and if you are at that moment, then you can, you can only be in the moment anyway. Mm. I mean, there's only this moment. The past mm. is already gone. You cannot change and the future hasn't come. You can only be here. And that's the only thing that matters. Mm -hmm. Of course, you have to plan for the future. You have to plan, okay. Are we moving? Are we doing this? Are we going this vacation? And what to do? But you have to have trust in yourself and that, that you have the capacity that your intelligence within your own around you can, can support you and you can go exactly where you have to go. I know this was wild. I'm glad you came with me on this ride. More info on Philip can be found in the show notes. Thank you so much, Philip, for your time your patience, your energy. Please be in touch. Don't be a stranger. This was Socks, So-Called Strangers. I hope you enjoyed the episode. A transcript in English and German and photos of all episodes can be found at socalledstrangers.de For questions or comments, please contact me at socalledstranger.de one stranger at gmx.net. Don't be a stranger. <laughs>